Do you guys remember when you were uh, a kid at your house and you got told to do something and you asked why? Like, why should I do this? And your uh, country soap opera loving mama gives you the stank eye and told you because I said so? You guys remember those days? Okay, I just want to, that's all right. I like to get real specific in the stuff that I, I experienced, but I remember those times of just saying, hey, do this, Ryan. I'm like, why? Like, because I said so. I was like, okay. And then I recall uh, a few years into being a, a father of Jude and doing that in front of his teacher, and his teacher's like, I like that. I like that. And I was like, yeah, you should try it. Your kids are older than mine. You should try it. Just tell them to do it because he said so. Like, it works. That's it. You don't have to, you don't have to relate to them. You have to uh, answer their questions. You don't have to give reasons. Just that. Now, there is a, a joke uh, about that, but there's also just the reality of authority, that there is authority. When authority does speak, that we do say yes, but then there's also this aspect of God being a loving authority that doesn't just say, do this because I said so, but do this, and here's all the glorious reasons why. This is why you should do this. This is why, this is why, this is why. It's just going to fill you with reasons of why you should do this this morning. So I want you to see it with me. It's Ephesians 1. If you do need a Bible, grab one under your seat or the seat in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, take that. That's, that's yours. You can have it. Take it home. But grab a Bible, Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. And we, we stopped and we looked at that last week. I want to stop again and look at it this week. Now, this is a baraka. It's a liturgical element from Old Testament Israel that would use it in worship to praise God, to start off by what should we do? We should praise God. Praise God for what he's done. Praise God for who he is. And that's what's happening here. Paul's picking this up like uh, uh, people from his lineage did. And said, praise God for this. Now, hear me. As I prayed for you this morning for this. This is not an intellectual exercise in what are you to do or what's true about you. All the things that are going to be told to you in this passage are for you to worship not God, not assent to that this is yours. You are to recount God's blessings, to praise him, not to just count them. The purpose here, the reason here is to show off, not to argue. I'm not here to argue uh, with you about election or predestination. That's not even the point of the text. The point of the text is this. This is what's happened to you, so praise him. That's what it's doing. Okay, so I I'm just going to use other barakas to try to get this going in you. A little jump start in your soul that you say, oh, this, this is where we're going. This is what this text is doing. This is what God is doing in me. He's calling me to this. So here's a few, back to back, Psalm 26. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the sound of my pleading. Now recall, we, we did a little bit of work on this, but when it says blessed be the Lord, what he's saying is uh, not happy as Lord, that's true. Joyful as Lord, that's true. But what he's saying here in this bracket is praise God. Praise God. Praise him. And then what? For he has heard the sound of my pleading. Psalm 31, 21. Blessed be the Lord. For he has wondrously shown his faithful love to me in a city under siege. So praise him, what? Again, for what he's done. Psalm 41, 13. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting 
to everlasting. Meaning his worship has no up and down to it, that it is to be expressed from us to him from eternity to eternity. Praise God is not a moment. Praise God is not a, a little uh, a peak in your life. Uh, worship is not a camp experience. Worship is not a Sunday morning experience. Worship is what you were made doing. The question will be, will it be God or something else? So praise him in all of life because he's worthy of praise from eternity to eternity. First Chronicles 29, David dedicated the temple with this. May you be blessed, Lord God of Israel. Lord God of our Father Israel from eternity to eternity. And it's not only Old Testament, New Testament picks it up. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Praise him for who he is. Praise him for what he's done. Praise him for who he is. Praise him for what he's done. Us. Now. That's what's happening. I know sometimes we sit in this and we think the Bible is really good for Thursday. Now. Now. You need to wait to apply this. Now. Praise God for who he is and what he's done. First Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Praise the Father for what He has done. He's given us every spiritual blessing, every that is to fight against your inclination in your heart to think that the father is stingy he is not shysty or stingy or withholding anything from you he has already given you every spiritual blessing in christ meaning he saved you gifted you his spirit and when his spirit came in to be with you and to dwell with you every blessing came along with the spirit there's nothing that the Spirit's like, well, not that part. I won't let them get to experience this. Maybe later. No, everything. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. That we are. The Spirit is in us, and we are in Christ, and Christ is in the Father. This is the, the imagery that's happening, and it kind of gives you maybe some idea of like a Russian nesting doll situation. You can pop them out, and they all fit in together. That, that's terrible imagery because we're all connected together. It's not like the Spirit is in us, so we can pop him out and pull him out. And then we're in Christ, and we can pull that one out and pop it out. And then Christ is in God, and, and it gets all separated out. Now, we are inextricably linked to the Father forever because of the work of the Son and because of the presence of the Spirit. Every spiritual blessing. Because you are in Christ. In this passage, which verse 3 to 14, I think is 202, word, uh, 202 words long, one sentence. And in that, 11 times he says in Christ in one form or fashion. The key 
for understanding this letter is recognizing that believers, you and me, have a new identity in Christ. Clint Arnold, he says, a new self-understanding based on a new reality permeates every aspect of life and transforms individuals. What is happening here is that you are in Christ. That is who you are now. This is your identity. This is a part of the blessing is that you are new, different. You are in Christ. And then Sinclair Ferguson, let me pause here. This is what I know I was going to say. There is a cameraman around helping us make a video for the Paradox Church. We didn't tell anyone about that. I forgot about it. He showed up. I was like, oh, yeah, that guy's going to be in our face all morning. Sorry. There we go. That's what it was. Now, back to being in Christ. I only say it because I look right, and he was looking through the window. That's, that's too much for me. <laughs> so I assume it's too much for you. <laughs> yeah, just go, okay, there's a guy. If he comes through that window, we're kicking him off the premises, okay? <laughs> if he gets a shot through that window. Now, what am I trying to say? That you and I, if you're in Christ, you're in Christ. You're united to Christ. So Sinclair Ferguson, he says there are number of practical effects this truth can have on us, but he says three things. Three practical effects of being Christ. Great dignity. As I, This is you be talking to yourself. As I look at myself, I see failure, sin, sometimes shame and disgrace, but that is neither the ultimate nor the whole truth about me as a Christian. No. Everyone say it with me. No. I am united to Christ, a joint heir of his riches, a child of God. There's great dignity because you're in Christ. He says there's confidence in prayer. If I'm united to Christ, then all that is his is mine. So long as my heart, will, and mind are one with Christ and his word, I can approach God with a humble confidence that my prayers will be heard and answered. Why? Because I'm in Christ. There's no veil between me and the Father. I, I just step to it. I'm driving. I start talking to him. I'm at my house in my kitchen. I start talking to him. I can do it. You can do that. Why? Because you're in Christ. Before being in Christ, you couldn't talk to him like that. No, and no one from human history talked to him like that. Unless you're Moses, you're inside the Holy of Holies. That's it. He's saying, now that you're in Christ, you can boldly go to the Father because you have him as your Father. And then strength and temptation. This is good news when we're, we're in the midst of temptation. We are members of the Holy Son of God. I'm united to the Lord Jesus Christ. How can I, of all people, commit this sin? Like, this is who I am. Why would I run that way? This is who God has made me. Why would I live out a different identity? No, I, I'm new. I'm, a, I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. That's how I'm going to live. I'm going to live out of that identity because that, at the essence, at the deepest part of my soul and forever, that's who I am because that's what the Father's done to me. He's made me new. So praise God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we are to do. Praise him. Bless his name. Speak a good word about him, the benediction. Speak a good word about him. Say all the things about his attributes and what he's done in your life that are good. Praise him. Be grateful. Joyfully celebrate him. 
but the father doesn't leave us to praise him frustrated and guessing why why should we praise him he doesn't leave us to praise him without fuel on empty no he clearly pumps us full of the glorious reasons that we should worship him in all of life so why why should we worship him? verse four it says four but because read that because because he chose us in him all right these pronouns we got to work through it for the father chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. The Father, verse 5, predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself. So the Father, why? Why should you praise him? First, the Father chose you before creation to be holy and blameless. Before creation he set his love on you and chose you to be lovely not because you were lovely but because he chose to set his love on you and when the father says that he chose us in Jesus the beauty there is is not that just the location that we're in Christ but that the father and the son participated together in choosing you before creation Before they started the act of creation and the Holy Spirit's hovering above the waters, they talked together and chose to make you holy and blameless. That's why you should praise him. That's why. He chose Abraham. He chose Aaron. He chose Moses. He chose David. He chose Israel. And he chose you. If you have a new heart, if you put your faith in Jesus, if you're a Christian, he chose you. He has made you, has set you to be holy and blameless. This is what he says in the Old Testament about his people Israel. And I want you to hear this. Deuteronomy 6. This is a little bit what we're talking about, about being chosen from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, for you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord had his heart set on you and chose you. And, and some of those people that get real like arrogant here, you should hear this. Not because you are more numerous than all peoples, for you are the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors, he brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Later on, a few chapters later, it says again, for you are a holy people, belonging to the Lord your God. Belonging. The Lord has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. So he chose Abraham, Aaron, Moses, Israel as his son, and all of Israel, his people. And he chose you. And, and if, if you want to argue with me, we're going to push back on this. Uh, we will, I'll talk to you about this. But the point of the text here is not to argue. The point of the text here is to worship 
So that's what I want us to do. There, maybe there's some things, nuances, like, oh, or emotions. You have a visual reaction to this. I know. I get it. But the goal is not to argue. The goal is to praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who chose us. You see it when Jesus says in John 6, 37, everything that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I certainly will not cast out. Meaning the Father, he's saying, the Father gives me people, I hold on to them, I'll never lose them. So if Jesus works, that's what he's speaking, this is what it looks like from his side, then what does it look like from Paul's side, we understand it and see it. Ephesians 1. But that's why you to enjoy and delight and adore God because the Father chose to make you holy and blameless before him. I mean, there's no future, there, there's no possibility or future where you would have been holy and blameless without Jesus. There's no future where you'd be fathered and loved and taken care of if there wasn't Jesus. So all praise and adoration goes to the one who chose us, who loved us before we loved him. Now, Paul envisions all of us becoming more holy, more ethically pure, more morally pure, to fight sin and to, to kill sin and, and to be growing in holiness. That we envisions for us. That, that's a part of what it means to be holy and blameless, that throughout the rest of the life, we're, we're going to grow in practical holiness. But this also means that Paul can say that you stand right before God right now, holy and blameless positionally because you are clothed in Jesus' righteous garment. That you guys look great, but the best garment you have in your closet is the one that you're always wearing, and it's Jesus' righteousness. And that's what the Father always sees you clothed in. So he says, right now, before me, you are holy and blameless. I can declare you righteous before me. And then that empowers to say, yes, that's who we are. That's how we stand before him. So let's fight to grow in practical holiness for the rest of our lives. Like a farmer, working, long hours, sweating, knowing that it takes time. Since all the, the, uh, the illustrations from Jesus about growth and about a disciple being more and more conformed to the image of his likeness are, are agrarian. I want you to think, this is going to take hard, sweaty effort to grow in practical holiness, but I'll do it because I am lit up by the reality that I stand before the Father holy and blameless right now. I can keep fighting for this because of what he's done for me. I can keep going in this way. Why? Because he's still with me. Nine times in this letter, Paul calls you holy ones. Now, to the faithful believers at Ephesus, to the holy saints, to those who've been set apart by Jesus and put their faith in Jesus. You are the holy ones. 
So, why are we to praise him? Because he, he chose us to be holy and blameless, but also, in verse 5, he predestined us to be adopted as sons. Now, in the CSB is what we're looking at. Maybe in the ESV, if you have that, the NIV, this uh, in love, that phrase is debated and put at different places. So it ends, let's see, in love at the end of verse 4 in the CSV, but in, in other translations, in love starts verse 5. And I think based upon chapter 3, verse 17, in love proceeds a participle. So arguing aside, either way, it's out of love. And it's in love that he chose you. And it's in love that he predestined you. But I think that's what's best there is that in love, the father predestined us to be adopted as sons. That God chose us. Now, Wayne Grudem, in, in, in your study guide and, and here, will give you this definition, but he says election is an act of God before creation in which he chooses some people to be saved, not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. That in love, he adopted you. He chose you. Again, he's not stingy, he's not shysty, but he's also not cold and calculating. Those are the adjectives that come to people's mind to the words chosen and predestined, but those are wrong, cold and calculating. No, he chose you out of a heart of love. He's warm. He determined to set his love on you, which then goes into adoption. Adoption is an act of God where he makes us members of his family. In love, he saw you as an orphan. And it moved him to compassion. And he grabbed you and pulled you into his family. Trevor Burke says, if, any, if adoption's about anything, it's about belonging. It's about belonging. You belong in the Father's family. You belong in this family because the Father's adopted you. There's a church on the road. Uh, I'm not going to say the name. I'm talking about it. But, uh, but they say you, can, uh, you don't have to believe to belong. And I get what they're trying to communicate. Gonna, you can be a part. You can come on Sunday mornings. And you don't have to. Kind of the same thing I said right before. The sermon, right? Some of those things. But the reality is, the reality is, yeah, maybe on Sundays, like we want you to feel like you belong. We want to connect with you. But reality is that if you have not met Jesus, then you don't belong. That's the hard truth. If Jesus has not saved you, you are not adopted. You're an orphan. If you've not put your faith in Jesus, then you're not in the family that you're still living outside of, that, that, that you're looking and hearing about all these blessings, but they're all away from you because you're not in Christ. And Jesus is saying, don't look around the room and say, oh, all these people did a lot of good things to get to Jesus. No, no, Jesus rescued us. We are 
knuckleheads with a lot of problems in this room. We're, we're not great people. We are needy, broken, messy people. It's not that we figured something out, learned some new clue. It's no, Jesus revealed his glory to us and we said yes. And what he's doing this morning is revealing his glory to you, that you can be adopted, that you can be homely and blameless. You can have every spiritual blessing in Christ if you cry out to him and put your faith in him. But it starts with that real, humble posture of saying, I am an orphan, and I'm not holy and blameless. I am hopeless and confused and don't know what I can do with this life and addictions whatever is beating me up and we're saying us too (laughs) and why we're here is not to celebrate that we've gotten better we're here to celebrate Jesus and he keeps transforming others He keeps pulling people into his family. You belong. That's adoption. I I remember uh, adopting our first son. There was some conflict in it, conflict leading up to it. I don't want to tell his story, but just to to tell you a little bit from my side is uh, (laughs) it was a late, it was Thursday morning like 2 a.m. when he was born. Back and forth, back and forth. But on Friday, I just, the Spirit did something in us, in me, that Friday. There's a lot of conflict, a lot of back and forth, and things had changed. And I just felt very clear that day that the Lord told me, this is your son. Don't back down. As in like, that sounds weird, because I'm trying not to give you all the details, but like fight for him. Keep pursuing. Nothing's really changed. I keep pursuing. And I'm struck by that because that, I just think, I know this is me trying to give words to the Lord, but I just imagine that's what the the father and the son's conversations were like before creation. Do you see Jeff? Do you see Chris? You see Nick, you see Johannes, and you see Ali, yes. Those are yours. Set your love on them. Those are yours. Fight for them. Those are yours. Go get them. Those are yours. They're going to be in your forever family forever. This is what the Father's done for you so loved sons of disobedience and children of wrath that he overwhelmed your disobedience by his perfect obedience and overwhelmed the wrath that we deserve by pouring out his son so that we could be sons and daughters. You belong, family. we're chosen 
because we're predestined, because we're sons, because we're daughters, because we're loved, because we're holy and blameless, we praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you picked up on the big idea yet? That's it. That's all Paul. And it's going to be next week and the next week because all he's doing is say, let's worship the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ because of this and this and this. And don't stop. But I also want you to be able to think about this text a little bit larger. That when you see the Father chose us in love to make us holy and blameless, husbands, if you read the book of Ephesians, you should, you should probably make a connection to chapter 5. You should make a connection that, oh, yes, just as the Father chose me, I have chosen my bride, and I've chosen to commit to her and to set my love on her, and I have been called to wash her, to keep pursuing her and to wash her with the water of the word. That, that what you've received from the Father in part, that's what you to give to your wife is to keep pursuing, to hold on, to set your love on her and never turn it away. And then you should also go to chapter five and think, I'm no longer an orphan. And I don't have to return to that mentality. When he says in Ephesians 4 that we should not live as the Gentiles, that we should not live as people uh, that were dead in their, that are dead in their trust. We are no longer dead in our trust. We should live and walk in newness of life. So don't return to that mentality. This is similar to those of us who, who drift towards a works-based performance or a works-based righteousness, right? That we drift that, no, we're we have and we're, we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ and we didn't earn it. It's all of his. We believe in it. It's been applied to us. But then we drift into like, I've got to do to earn this righteousness. The same thing can happen with adoption is that we are adopted, but we can drift back into this orphan mentality that we don't have a father. And that also needs to be repented of and turned from. Just like Stoking your relationship with God based upon your righteousness is wrong and needs to be turned. Uh, uh, believing that you're an orphan when you have a father is wrong and you need to go run back to his arms and believe what he said about you and receive what he's done to you. I want you to sit in this. Bob Thune and, and Will Walker, a couple of uh, pastors in our network, talk about this, talk about the, the difference before, between the orphan and the son and daughter, a difference between the orphan mentality. And, and like I do sometimes, maybe, maybe could we use this as a diagnostic to see what's going inside of us? I, I'm not trying to clarify if you are an orphan or if you are a son or daughter. What I'm speaking to, if you are a Christian, you are a son or daughter, but maybe you've drifted into orphan mentality. And this is what it can look like. The orphan lacks a vital daily intimacy with God. Anxious about friends, money, school, and work. Feels as if no one cares about you. Lives on a success-fell basis needs to look good do you see how devastating this is if you don't believe you have a father 
and drift into this orphan mentality. It's destructive. It's broken. Feels guilty and condemned. Struggles to trust things of God. Has to fix problems. Not very teachable. Is defensive when accused of error or weakness. Needs to be right. Lacks confidence. Feels discouraged and defeated. Strong-willed with ideas, agendas, and opinions. I think we feel that if you have multiple kids, you can feel the, the back and forth between those two bullet points, right? You got one kid that kind of acts like this and another kid that acts like this, but they're both acting like they don't have a dad and they need a dad. Just like us. Solution to failure, try harder. Has a critical spirit, tears others down. A competent analysis of others' weaknesses. Tends to compare self to others. Feels powerless to beat the flesh. Needs to be in control of situations and others. Looks for satisfaction in positions. Looks for satisfaction in possessions. Tends to be motivated by obligation and duty, not love. To drift into this mentality is to drift into absurdity and non-reality and to live a different life. But as Paul Miller and so many others have said, you and I live in a fathered world. That that may be our mentality, but that's not the reality. And the truth is that you're a son and daughter, and we need to turn and own that and enjoy that and receive that and said, yes, I am. This is my identity, and I will hold on to it. This is what a son and daughter lives like feels freed from worry because of God's love for you. You're learning to live in a daily partnership with God, not fearful of God. Feels forgiven and totally accepted. A daily trust in God's sovereign plan for your life. Prayer is a first resort. Whew, that's good. You're content in relationships because you're accepted by God. Freedom from making a name for yourself. You are teachable. You're open to criticism because you rest on Christ's perfection. You're able to examine your deeper motives, able to take risks, even to fail. You're not discouraged and defeated all the time. You're encouraged by the Spirit working in you, able to see God's goodness in dark times, content with what Christ has provided, trusting less in self and more in the Holy Spirit, aware of inability to fix life, people, and problems, is able to freely confess your faults to others. Doesn't that feel, uh, I don't see it. That sounds like the good life, to use our modern vernacular, right? This is the life right here. To live as a son and daughter. Like this is the beautiful life on earth doesn't always have to be right, does not gain value from man-made props, experiences more and more victory over the flesh. Prayer is a vital, ongoing part of the day. Jesus is more and more the subject of conversation. God truly satisfies your soul. And so as a diagnostic, what I'm saying is, if there's pieces of that, if there's bullet points of the orphan mindset, that you would repent and turn from it. And believe, verse 4, this is your life. 
You are a son and daughter. You do have a father. And he loves you, loves you so much. You look at verse 6. <laughs> He's not cold and calculating. This is according to his good pleasure. His good pleasure. You are joyfully adopted by God to the praise of God. It means God took great delight in thinking of his future people and being kindly disposed toward them. What it says is according, verse 6, uh, end of verse 5 and 6, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. So take, you've got to take note that the Father took great delight in this plan. Take note the warm willingness and bursting joy to do good to you. This is not begrudging adoption. This is not a weird family dynamic where someone left the scene. You're like, I guess I'll take the kids if I have to. No, Father said, I don't, all these kids are sons of disobedience, but I'm going to grab them and I'm going to make them mine. That's what's happened to you. J.I. Packer, he says, you sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. I want adoption to thrill your soul because adoption thrills the father. According to his good pleasure. It's like God works at Chick-fil-A. I'm like, thank you for being adopted. He's like, my pleasure. I'm like, that's it. That's where they got it from. That's why they're so successful. They know how to react to people. How does God react to people? He said, it's in our good pleasure. I took great delight in adopting you into my family, and my delight in you is perpetual. This is not a one-off. This is not a thank you for this meal, my pleasure. This is thank you for this whole relationship and future that is defined by you loving me. My pleasure. It's his good pleasure. When I say we belong, that means then that we get to live as family because we are family because it was his good pleasure to make us family. It's his good pleasure to keep us as family. Now you, you may not feel like you belong here, but you do. We may have failed you and made you feel like you don't belong here, but, but we are united to Christ. God is our Father. Jesus is our elder brother. The Holy Spirit is crying out inside of us that we are sons and daughters. We are family. And so we're responsible for one another. And we care for one another. Dahadi Lewis in Atlanta, Georgia, who's also a vice president of NAM, he, he, he says... We're family. We're not play cousins. There's a big difference. Just a big difference between an orphan and a son and daughter. It's a big difference how you treat the person around you based on who you think they are and who you think you are. If your identity is in Christ and their identity is Christ, you know how you treat them? Like a brother or sister because that's who they are. So I'm going to take responsibility. I'm not going to treat them as like, hey, they come and go, whatever. No, I'm going to go towards them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to care for them. If they're hurt, I'm there. This is family. I'm going to bleed out for them. 
I'm going to be a part of the Holy Spirit's work making them holy and blameless. That's what we're all thinking. I, I, I want to be more involved in this. I want to be a part of, of, of God conforming my brothers and sisters more into the image of our elder brother Jesus. I want you in response to being in Christ because of his good pleasure, good pleasure, take pleasure in him. Meaning, take pleasure in God. Take pleasure in his salvation. Take pleasure in being alive. Take pleasure in being adopted. Take pleasure in being loved. Sons and daughters of the Father should image the joy and radiant happiness of their father. What I'm saying is, may the good news of the father adopting you free you to be light and joyful and in awe. I know we're adults, but it is wonderfully okay to be in awe. And we like to play cool and play things down like they're not that cool, not that big of a deal. But we are to be in awe that he took delight in us. So Paul is telling us to praise the Father because he chose us and predestined us to be adopted as sons and to be holy and blameless before him. And then, implicitly, because we'll see it later on, he's telling us to live as sons and daughters. Live as sons. And this is who you are. You have a father. You have an older brother. You have the Holy Spirit testifying that you're a son or a daughter. And you have brothers and sisters. There's more to it next week and the third week. But that is is enough reasons this morning to praise him. That's enough to hear Paul, God, command us. Praise the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, and then graciously give us reasons to do so. Let's do that. Let's respond to him. Now, not Thursday, now. So let's respond. I'm going to pray. I'm going to respond to him. Father, I pray for us to praise you, to delight in you, to lift you up, exult in your work towards us, in your smiling pleasure towards us, in your glorious grace towards us, grace that you lavished on us, in the beloved one, in your son, lavished. You are not stingy, Lord. You've lavished, continue to lavish your love on us. I pray that that would sink. Would you being our father and us being your children sink into all the insecure crevices in our hearts? and the wounds and the heartaches and the fears.
the good news that we are known by you and we are unceasingly loved by you. Despite our sin, our idolatry, our sexual insanity, for ignoring and rejecting you and saying, no, you haven't made us your children. And we functionally live as orphans instead of trusting you and delighting in you and choosing to grab our Father's hand every day and walk with him and work and be a part of what he's doing in his world. Lord, I, I pray that your spirit would, in kindness, lead us to repentance and to believe the good news and to praise you for what you have done. In Christ's name, we pray.